0: We're twins. uh, uh, It's true. Um, A lot of crazy things have been happening. We got uh, fired from our last job. It was about a year ago. Um, But it was terrible, man, because they fired us at the same time. (laughs) For the same exact reasons. It was crazy. And you don't want to get fired with your identical twin brother at the same exact time, you know what I mean? mean, Because it's like not only are you getting fired, but it's kind of like you're watching yourself get fired in (laughs) 3D. Hey
1: everybody, it's Mike. We are back with a new episode of Working It Out. The voices you are listening to are two of my favorite comedians, Keith and Kenny Lucas. They go by the Lucas brothers. They're twins. I've toured with them a bit over the years. I've been lucky enough to tour with them some. They're screenwriters. They're actors. They're comedians. They have a special on Netflix called On Drugs. You might recognize them from the film 22 Jump Street. We recorded this a couple weeks ago. Quick note. So there's no mention of the recent attempted coup. Uh, This is definitely one of my favorite chats we've ever had on the show. This is the Lucas Brothers. Enjoy. I was looking back on the shows that we did together over the years, and I realized that we did a show in Colorado and I I, I, was, I called you guys. I was like, hey, do you want to do this show in Denver? And you were like, sure. And then I announced it on social media, and people were like, I hope they don't get too stoned <laughs> and not show up. Yeah, and I was, was like, I, I think they'll show up. And then I, like, Google it, and it's a whole thing. Yeah, that was
0: one of our uh, our many infamous moments in uh, Denver when we, uh, we took uh, edibles and uh, really, really fucked us up. We didn't take edibles out of context. It was a 420 themed show, right. we right, just right. wanted to be a part of the show in, a, in an honest and authentic way. We just right, uh, right, right. our bodies. We were, we were we were committed to the 420 premise, and but we we went it <laughs> we went, we went too overboard, <laughs> and uh, you know, suffice it to say, we missed the show. But yeah, I heard it was a good show. Yeah, I heard it was a great show. I heard I think it might have
1: been better without us. You know, I, I mean. That's ridiculous you <laughs> you were still yeah, it was all part of of the premise of the festival, which right. is that you're stoned at the four twenty festival
0: precisely we were, we were we
1: were basically method acting <laughs> <laughs> so I asked you to do the show i you said yes, I announced it to people, they go make sure they show up, and then I <laughs> google it I google it I see an article that says uh they ended up, and I don't know if this is true, they ended up shirtless. The Lucas Brothers ended up shirtless, wandering around Denver in search of a cheeseburger.
0: Yeah. Uh, that is all That is all true. No, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, not,
1: it's not entirely true. Uh,
0: they say shirtless. Yeah. You were fully nude, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, see, so here's the thing. I, I was supposed to take a shower, and I forgot to take the shower. I just went to go look for a cheeseburger, and I didn't even realize I didn't have any you got to
1: be on. kidding me. <laughs> no,
0: no, this is all true.
1: Yeah. I feel like every, every comedian's origin story has some kind of epiphany of, like, I should be a comedian. So, obviously, one of you had to have had the epiphany at a different time than the other. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah, well,
0: okay, I think I had the epiphany first. Uh, For sure. But, yeah, it was definitely, but I was like doing horribly in law. Not horribly, but I was like a solid like B student. And I and I had I had lost out on a summer internship. And I was like, I don't even think I wanna be a lawyer. And so I, I said, okay, I wanna I wanna do comedy. And then I called him up and he was having similar reservations about law. And so we both sort of said, let's fucking do this. Wow. Yeah, it was uh yeah it was like my our third year. And I don't know, it was just like I, I missed out on an internship as well and I just, I don't know, I had a weird summer the summer before, and it's just like my mind wasn't really into that space anymore. And, uh, yeah, he he came up with this crazy proposition, and I was like, this dude must be losing his mind. Uh, (laughs) But I was like, I'm slowly losing my mind, so, you know, maybe we can lose our minds together. (laughs) Well,
1: it's funny because, like, your comedy is not as influenced by the law as it is by, like, Philosophy.
0: <laughs> well, philosophy is our first love. You right. Know? We study we, we philosophy in college and uh, I don't know. It was just like one of those things. It was love at first sight. And uh, I, yeah. I think we wanted to be, we wanted to get our PhD uh, in philosophy, but, you know. It, it doesn't pay. One thing lit. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> comedy, comedy pays a lot more. And uh, I feel like you can, you can philosophize pretty well. Uh, as a comedian. And the thing about comedy, which is so great, is that you can travel across the world and you can test out A thesis or a premise yeah and and you can see if the it's almost scientific in a sense where you're like oh i'm getting feedback they're validating my initial premise let me see how how farther i can go with it until you land on like oh this is what i love about your comedy because it's like you you set out to do a, a full piece with your comedy and you get you get your point of view it's not just like a collection of jokes and i think that's also very philosophic uh, when you when you read like say a, a Bertrand Russell, they give you full pieces and you get their entire point of view towed through the perspective of particular jokes, and I think that that's that's what's beautiful about comedy.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely the goal with with my shows is to sort of yeah to to present sort of a a single a single story with a you know a single through line, and it you know it takes a long time, it takes years, but uh, right for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like. That's another that's another needle you guys thread though. It's like I've never seen comedians talk earnestly about philosophy on stage. And like, yeah, you know, I remember us do, doing that show in Denver, and you're like killing with like jokes about Kierkegaard. <laughs> like, this is impressive. Like these guys are really they, they're they're pulling some kind of thing off that I. I don't fully grasp. It's, it's bold. I mean, like, I feel like when you first started, like, talking about philosophy on stage, were you thinking, like, well, I don't know if this is going to work? I mean, it, it took us a while to get uh, to the level, to I mean, get comfortable
0: with talking about philosophy on stage. Our first couple years, you know, it was all just, like, 90s references, weed jokes, uh, you know things that we thought audiences would be able a to, lot of twin material too. Um, yeah, twin yes, material. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. But not you know, but not honest twin material. Right, right. Um, you know, but it, but philosophy was like it was one of those things where like maybe it's a little too intellectual to the point where people won't understand uh, the humor of it all. But as we got more comfortable on stage, and actually like watching you perform and watching you like lay out your, your pieces as a, you know, like thesis, antithesis. It was like, oh, the way you structured it is a, is a way that we can structure ours, but also embed philosophy within uh, how we uh, uh, deliver our sets. So, I mean, it took us a while. It took us a long time.
1: It's real. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm a big fan, but like, it's, it's interesting, like, did you decide at a certain point? Because like with the Smothers Brothers, for example, it's like classic, brothers duo, and they disagree, but you guys mm-hmm. generally agree. Yeah, yeah. Or I, I, l- or I would say, like, at least you, you yes and, you build on what the other person's saying.
0: Without a doubt, like, I think that's a big thing that we've learned throughout the course of our journey with comedy is that when we reaffirm one another, we let the audience in uh, on the process with us, and so they can have a better understanding of what points we're trying to make as we sort of uh, yes-and one another. It's like a lot of some improvisation, but it's also very uh, uh, written. I think uh, the good part about it is if, they, if we muddle a premise, <laughs> yeah. like if we muddle a, a, a joke... Keith will always say, well, this is what we intend to say, so you can follow along with what we're saying.
1: I wish I had
0: that. So it's like a, che- it's like a cheat code. It's a cheat code. That's really is. funny as hell. I,
1: my brother Joe and I write, we collaborate, we've collaborated on comedy writing for, for years together, so yeah, probably over 20 years. And, like, I think that he wishes he was on stage sometimes and could just tell me to shut up <laughs> because I'm not delivering something properly that he had written. But like, do you (laughs) ever have that like? Do you ever have conflict after the show where you're like, "Hey, you kind of botched that thing that I that I came up with."
0: Yeah, when we first started, I mean, it was it was basically war because you know we had different conceptions of comedy. You know, I I had my theories on what it meant to be funny, and he had his theories on what it took to be funny. He wanted to push us to the more like absurdist sort of avant-garde. Yeah. He was Keith was fu- fully comfortable with the audience not getting what we were saying. Like he was like it doesn't <laughs> matter. Like yes. we got to get to the point where we're talking like we talk on stage. Once right. we once right. we get sure. to the point where we're having conversations like we have off stage then we know we're doing our comedy in the most authentic level. But I was always of the mindset, like, no, we have to be structured. We have to be organized. And we, we can't, like, they have to hear us, hear what we're saying. Like, it has to be clear and lucid, because if not, we're not going to get the laughs per minute, and people are going to think we suck, right. and they're going to think we're hacks. Right, and, all right, right. and so I was, I tended to move away from the, the more absurdist style of comedy, because I thought yeah, it yeah, would yeah. alienate yeah. and, and hurt our clarity. But... Now that we've moved into like that space, I love it because it's so free i don't I don't worry but, as much but to your point, I think when you're starting off in comedy, you do have to know how to tell a structured joke. I mean, I think that it's the, it's the basis of of comedy, you know being able to tell jokes, yeah. so like you, you don't want to leap to something that you're not ready to leap to. So I think there was a synthesis that we were trying to reach where like we, we take a little bit of structure and then you know mess it all up but uh i think that we just had we had different approaches and we were very headstrong about our approaches and we weren't able to come to like a synthesis i thought you were crazy i was like this guy is he not is he not watching that's not what jerry Seinfeld does this is crazy they're gonna they were gonna get kicked out of the industry before we even get started
1: Stepping away from my conversation with the Lucas Brothers to send a shout out to Helix Mattresses. What better way to kick off 2021 than with a a wonderful, wonderful mattress that envelops you? Um, I I love this. uh, I've been sleeping on this thing for six months. I love it. My wife loves it. Our daughter loves it. It's, it'll it'll be a big hit around the house. You go on helixsleep.com slash burbigs. You take their two-minute sleep quiz. Very easy. You'll ace it. They match you with a customized mattress that will be the best sleep of your life. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our Working It Out listeners at helixsleep.com. Slash Burbigs. Once again, it's slash Burbigs. And now back to the show. So you wrote this piece uh, for Vulture called Our Brother Kaizen. Right. And mm-hmm. I don't know if your other friends had this reaction, but I mean, like, I knew that you came from Newark. You were, it was, it was, it was tough. You know, I knew that you went to law school. I knew that you, you know, it, you had a long challenging road, but like you really open up in that piece about you know, as basically a family member, mm-hmm. someone you're so close to, you were, it was basically family, a, f- a friend of yours who's basically family. Right. Right. And uh and how he was killed and and it's beautifully written and I highly recommend people read it, I'll link to the, I'll, I'm going to link to it in the show notes because it's just like a really illuminating piece about systemic racism and the state of our country right now and what it's like to grow up in Newark, like in a, in a project, you know, and it's like, um, did you have people like me who were your friends going like, oh, wow, I really didn't know that about you? Yeah, I mean,
0: uh, my one of my good friends, uh, 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 Nimesh, uh, uh, Nimesh Patel, great, great comedian, he hit me up, and he was like, man, he's like, I didn't know, man. I'm sorry. I'm like, it's cool, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, I, it's all good, man. Like, I feel like it's and this is something that I learned from you, Mike. It's like from how you structure your stories and how, how personal you go into your, in, in details. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to I tell stories. I want to tell full pictures. And I want to I be as open and as honest as possible. And in order for me to do that, we have to sort of lay it all out. We can't, we can't really, you can't hold back on anything. And I felt like it was a relevant uh, piece to add to the discussion about systemic racism because it has such a profound impact on our upbringing and the upbringing for many other African Americans. I felt like it was a a piece that could uh, resonate. And then it's like, look, we are stoners. We had, we do, do, we did do drugs, and I, but like that shit doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? Like, I, <laughs> right, we, of course. There's a reason why we're fucking putting drugs in our body, and that's like we're coping with this very serious shit. And I felt like it would, it would be a good way to like, uh, turn the stoner trope on his head. Like, yeah, we're stoners, but here's why, you know.
1: It's also we're stoners, but they're, you know there's a lot of steps being taken to decriminalize white kids right. doing drugs and to criminalize black kids doing drugs. Totally. Absolutely.
0: Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, the stoner trope doesn't always apply to, to young African-American, uh, uh, African-Americans, you know?
1: It's not as adorable. Right,
0: right, right, right. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a lovable trope. It's like you can do hard time if, you, if you're caught with uh, drugs on you in the inner city. And I, I think with that piece you know, it was important for us to, for the first time, I think, be completely honest. I mean, it's like, I think we were trying to make, take that turn away from, you know, the stoner gimmick to something a bit more sincere. And uh, it it felt like the writing format was, was a way to like, just really, really elucidate uh, our opinions on a lot of things. And we just sort of just laid it all out. I mean, Kaizen was extremely close to us when we were younger. You know, We kind of like broke apart as we you know, got older, but he he was an extremely influential person in our lives. And just to see his, basically his demise from when he was a kid to how it ended up, it was just like, it was so like heartbreaking. And it was like, this is a story that we think can not only illuminate uh, on certain aspects of the criminal justice system, but also humanize what some people consider the, the quote unquote thug, you know, it's like, yeah, all these people have stories. All these people come from places that, you know, a comedian that you love may come from. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're, they're human beings, and I, we started reading all these news articles about Kaizen. It was just like, oh, this terrorist, this gangster, this thug. And I'm like, man, I did not know him like that. You know, he was he was such a vivid character in my mind, and like for him to just be reduced to that was just to us just devastating. So it just felt necessary to write the article. And it was something. It was something you told us. I was I was asking you like, how do you frame your your stories and you like you you you're like find that one thing that you can really talk about that can really like act as a through line and then when uh we saw our cousin kaizen uh at a comedy show and and that was in uh may and then a couple of months later he gets into this shootout and i was like holy shit that that's just fucking crazy to me like it just blew my mind wow. it was just
1: shocking do you think that you might do a show about that story eventually
0: oh yeah oh yeah that's the that's the that's the end goal like to to do a two person show about about kaizen and hopefully like once we can get back on stage explore that in, in on on the on the
1: stage right yeah because it's it just seems like to your point like it seems like the stories the personal stories uh of people affected by systemic racism need to be told in a way that's not only human, but is also funny. Right, and right. And that's what you guys bring to it, you know, because you're, you're storytellers, but also you're hilarious people. And one of the things you point out about Kaizen is that he was hilarious.
0: Right. Hilarious. Right. One of the funniest people we, we, we had the privilege of meeting. I mean, he was one, uh, just a, a ball of jokes. Like, just a guy who had this, the, the gift of... Uh, of humor and uh that's the, i mean that's a way to humanize a person like oh yeah he's, he's he's actually good at telling jokes and making people laugh and trying to bring people together
1: i feel like like one of the things that that a story like that cuz i didn't know you were going to consider doing it on stage like i just read the article like i feel like one of the ways to stage that would be to 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 it's kind of like the the new one is like this is like all the reasons why you never want to have a child right. and mm-hmm. the turn is like i have a child and it's like like the front half of the kaizen story could be just fun, funny, right, funny right, stories, right. you know what i mean?
0: Right, right, right. Like if you can establish kaizen as this this larger than life just like comedic hero who, you know, you tell you're telling all these anecdotes just about how funny and how great of a person he was and then you take that that turn.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that could be real powerful. All right, so this is called the slow round. Do you, do you guys have like a, a smell you remember from your childhood? Let's see. I remember
0: my mom my mom used to like braid hair. Like she used to braid people's hair. So I remember the smell of weave. <laughs> <laughs> like, like vividly I can I can smell it immediately. Yeah, it's like it's like fake hair. It's fake hair that you burn and it has like a it does have a very like distinct smell. Uh I was going to say, you know, I don't know if you remember these, but it's, like, these pineapple sodas. Uh, We used to drink them a lot during the summer in Irvington. I I remember the (laughs) smell of, like, the summertime with that that sweet pineapple soda smell.
1: Right, yeah. It's so funny because I was thinking about, like, a childhood memory the other day of, like, a smell. And, like, I was thinking about, like, the smell of, like, hot chocolate Mm. after sledding. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like there's something about like, like the smell and the taste after another thing. Right. Right, 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 right. It's like the pairing of like wines. Like you must have the Chardonnay with the seared tuna, (laughs) you know? It's like, well, actually have you tried hot chocolate after sledding?
0: (laughs) That's true. You you never forget that beverage that you go to during a season. Like, like with, with, with hot chocolate during the winter or with pineapple soda during the summer. Like it's like it's always like a like a, a beverage that that just like you can recall. I feel
1: Which like there's a huge really thing. I, I feel like it's a huge thing where like I don't know what age it was in childhood, but like my daughter's five and a half now. And I think she's starting to get to this point where you realize you can access your own food and beverages. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like seven Six or seven, yeah. seven. Seven's big for that, yeah. But my daughter has like a snack drawer, and it's like, like every now and then you see her sneak off to the snack drawer, and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. The <laughs> moment you realize there was a snack drawer. Yeah, yeah.
0: Those are those, those those are some critical moments as a child, like just like the, the the realization moment where you're just like, oh, I can do this, I can do that. It's all yeah. downhill after like. <laughs> okay, <something like> <laughs> cool, like what it. do you think first... the
1: down, what do you think the downhill age is for me uh, for me it was
0: 14 <laughs> i think 13 or 14 13 or four like right when puberty starts i think it's all yeah downhill, puberty right? puberty and girls man yeah that, that's it man
1: why well, you know it's funny i would say almost the same thing i feel like when i was like 13 or so from i it, yeah it's like puberty girls like sexual feelings like feeling insecure like and also like like existent for me it was like existential issues started coming up like at 13 like what is
0: anything i didn't have existential moments i was like deeply we were deeply religious like baptists so i was like my, my metaphysics were pretty much intact i was like all right you know god whatever my problem was like i started having like you know, sexual at 13, you start having like, oh, I'm attracted to this person. And then you're like, Man, how do you square that with my religion? Like, Chris, your Christian faith yes. teaches you not to be, you know, promiscuous or anything like that. So I was, that was probably the
1: hardest thing I had for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For that's sure. huge. That's huge, though. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's very, to use your phrase, like, that's very hard to square. Right. Right. Oh, yeah.
0: Without a doubt. That was, that was certainly the toughest T- toughest thing to sort of well, get so through. I, just I, like. so, I, so I just rejected God. I was like, "Fuck it." Like, yeah, <laughs> something <laughs> must be wrong with God. <laughs> yeah, if God he, needs he, to have
1: more. Se- God needs to have more sex. God, God <laughs> needs to get laid, man. He's just like- <laughs> God needs to chill out and get laid. <laughs> we, and we all know it, right? <laughs> so you were Baptist, and at this point, you had moved from Newark to North Carolina, right?
0: Yeah, so when we were uh, ten years old, we moved from Newark to North Carolina. We lived in North Carolina for about six to seven years, and then we moved back to Newark. But throughout that entire time, we were we were pretty we were strictly Baptist. You know, we would go to uh, you know youth summer camps, and like we would go to church every Sunday and every Tuesday, like like two or three times a week. Like we were really really hardcore uh, within religion,
1: right. Wow, did you think that you were going to have like a religious path in life? Yeah.
0: Uh, that, oh, oh yeah. We oh yeah. we thought about in our second year of college, we thought about going to the seminary. We we're going to do like mm-hmm. Wow. And then it just converted to philosophy. Right. I wanted to study at the Princeton Theological Seminary, like Cornell West. That was my goal. And then uh we we transitioned into philosophy.
1: And then you transitioned into weed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Actually, we did not smoke weed in college. I mean, we didn't. We smoked weed once in college, but that was our senior year. But for the most part, we were, we were straight edge.
1: So it was law school you started smoking weed, right?
0: So law school we started smoking weed, yeah. Among among sense. many
1: other drugs, uh, but weed was,
0: <laughs> we <laughs> was pretty prominent. Wow!
1: So you <laughs> so you went to you went to North Carolina when you were like ten. Mm-hmm. And, and that's And really building? that's like a
0: really religious place. So like. It was, like, it was like religion on steroids. So you have like uh, choir, you have like Sunday school, you have deacons, you have uh, the preacher. And I mean, it's like the preacher sort of runs like his own sort of like fiefdom. Like he's like, he, he has control over <laughs> most of everything. And everyone's sort of like, it's kind of culty, really, when you think about it. But you're supposed yeah. to be like, you're supposed to oh, be celebrating so? Jesus. But it's like this guy's interpretation of Jesus. And it's like, uh, how yeah, do we get yeah. this guy's right? You know what I mean? And the Baptist preacher is the I think the cra- like the craziest version of the like the f- the figurehead of a church like the Baptist the Southern Baptist preacher, I mean it's is highly entertaining. If you ever get a chance to go to a church, go watch a black Southern Baptist preacher on a Sunday. It's it's, it's, it's the greatest. It's it's, really? it's so entertaining. <laughs> it's it's just like they're so animated, and it's like. You know, it's like they have this sort of weird interpretation of the Bible. It's not completely clear that they fully understand what the Bible is, but they just like they just they just they do it with so much conviction that you just you can't help but to believe. But you're like, this dude might be a fucking maniac. Dude. Right. <laughs> like, like he's delivering it with so much passion.
1: Like, I, I, I have to believe it. Do you guys feel like you're influenced by your your religious upbringing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the one thing
0: that I, I took from my religious upbringing is discipline. It made me very just like aside from all my drug usage and uh, promiscuous sex, but I, I think that uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that for the most part, like I approach everything in a sort of disciplined structured manner, like I would study the Bible like crazy, like I would just like read passages and try to understand like the the metaphysics behind it, and like until this day, like I, I try to figure I try to understand like, is there a larger purpose? Does God really exist? Is the universe basically God like? I wrestle with these things on a daily basis, but I think it's all rooted in my, my Baptist upbringing. Oh yeah, and, and back to religion like, you know, as culty and crazy as religion can be, it does sort of force you to ask those big questions. You know what I mean? Like they they, I mean, they have all the answers, of course, but that was like the beginning of asking those big questions that sort of pushed me yeah. to philosophy, pushed me to comedy, just pushed me to try to figure out what my metaphysics like what it is. And like, I, I I see religion as the starting point. You know, I, I don't think their answers are always right. But I do believe that they ask some very important questions. And I think that that continues to shape how I uh, uh, live my life.
1: That actually makes me think about my own religious upbringing in a completely different way. As a matter of fact, like, as I'm, as I'm conceiving my next show, the YMCA pool, which is all about hitting middle age and asking all these existential questions about my life and and death and mortality mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff about growing up uh, catholic and 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 being taught these things about Jesus and 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 really believing right. it right. like 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 to the word like for years and years and years but i actually never considered that point that you're making which is that that Potentially is what sculpted who I am today, which is someone who asks a lot of questions.
0: And at the very least, it's a reaction to that too. Like, I, I was having so many like problems with, uh, you know, basic uh, uh, philosophical arguments that the, the Bible would make. And it, I, I had to understand, like, well, because I was always a big guy. I was always really big in math. Like, I love I everything about math from geometry, calculus, it doesn't matter. I love math. And I could never square my love of math with my my religious conviction. They don't mention anything about proofs in the Bible. You know what I mean? It's very strange.
1: Stepping away from my conversation with the Lucas Brothers to send a shout out to Monk Pack. They make snacks that taste like our favorite sugary treats. But wait for it. There's only one gram of sugar or less. Monkpack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain less than one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories. I am a convert. I, I'm never someone who's eaten these bars, but but I've found that I've, I've started eating them. They're really tasty. They tied me over until the next meal. Uh, you can try it yourself and see. Special deal for the Working It Out listeners, 20% off your first purchase of any Monkpack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering... Our code BURBIGS at checkout, M U N K P A C K dot com. Select any product, enter code BURBIGS, 20% off your purchase. That's monkpack.com. And now back to the show. I've never asked anyone this question, but but because you guys smoke a lot of pot, or do you still smoke a lot of pot?
0: No, man, we've uh, we've been we've been sober for uh, how many days? Almost 500. Almost 500. No days. way, really?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations, yeah. that's great. Thank you, thank, thank you. Wow. Um, was was deciding to be sober related to to Kevin Barnett at all? Because our people, though, if people don't know, our our mutual friend Kevin Barnett passed away. Right. Uh, almost i because the you're saying 500 days and i'm like that's probably the yep. timeline right yep yep, yep. that's exactly that's what so it, the, i mean it's just
0: like when you see your homie that you've you know traveled the fucking world with laying in a casket after you know you know doing yeah. what you know whatever it's just like when you see that that's that kind of shit that just i don't want to say scares you straight but it, it forces you to just rethink yeah you know how you approach you know substances and what you what you put into your body and it's like you know he yeah. was so larger than life like he was such a like a just a a larger than life person and just to see him lifeless was just like it was just so jarring that it just it forced me to just be like I can't put this shit in my body anymore right right and i think it was another thing like when i when i saw his mom at the funeral and, and the pain that she was going through the one first thing I said to myself is like I don't want to put my mom through that uh yeah. because I'm I you know I don't know why I'm putting this shit in my body what, what's the reason and cuz a yeah. lot of times you're doing drugs and you're like oh nothing's going to happen to me I'm good you know I I, yeah. I, I can still yeah. I I'm good it will never happen to me but then like you see it happen to people around you and you're like oh shit all right well like, uh, I mean ad- addiction is is a serious 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 you know it's a disease and like it it can yeah. it can it takes out all kinds of people like it doesn't matter how strong you think you are like it's 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 it affects you in a way that you feel like you have control but you really don't and uh you have to fight it like you fight anything like and in, in yeah and seeing kevin in that casket i was like we got to start fighting man and like we, we we can't yeah we just can't lose ourselves to our to our to our addictions and uh yeah, it's 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 yeah. a it's a it's a personal battle, but it's it's a battle that a lot of people are are fighting, and, and that was another thing that sort of triggered that uh the, the, the you know the Kaizen piece. You know, he he also struggled with uh, substances, and uh, you know it was like yeah. one of those things where we were like we felt like it was again our moral duty to 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 speak truthfully about what we're going through and why we're going through it, because you never know who you can help. You know, when you're talking about it, and when you're being sincere, because like because the first part of our com- like the first half of our comedy career it was all about like drugs and how cool drugs are and like yeah you're yeah, getting yeah. stoned is dope and like it, ev- everything is chill and like it was a sort of this sort of like we were romanticized drug usage and I don't want to sound like a narc but I'm like I don't I don't want so many people are dying from this shit like I, I don't want to contribute to that in that way anymore yeah. and and now I feel a responsibility to to talk about shit in a real way and at the same time I still understand that marijuana shouldn't be criminal like you shouldn't be criminalized for doing the right, shit but right. like at the same time there are certain drugs that you can't glam- you can't glamorize and glorify because people are listening and if you if you if you think it's cool they're like oh the Lucas Rose thinks it's cool so I should do it. Um and so I, I I that was it's just like that.
1: Yeah, I mean I lost I lost my friend Greg Geraldo right. yeah. uh, yeah. to substance I lost Mitch Hedberg right. To substance, um, uh, a friend you know, re, it's in the news, but a friend of mine recently is you know struggling with yeah. substance. And uh, and uh, Kevin, I mean, Kevin passing away was just devastating. He was, he was, he was this young comic who was super prolific, mm-hmm. super funny. He was gonna explode. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had done some TV stuff, but. I mean, he was going to be—I mean—one of the greatest com- comics of our generation, without a doubt. And and we lost him, and it, it it's devastating. It's just like yeah,
0: it's just it's just tragic that like he wasn't able to reach his full potential, but also tragic that like his family is so fucking awesome, and uh, like it, it, it's such a, like a dynamic family, and like just he, he was sort of their voice, right? Like he was he was the voice of his family. He was putting it out there for us to consume, and uh, and like. We, we lose that. We lose, we, we just lose like a, a comedic connection to such a brilliant family. Right.
1: Do you guys have a memory on a loop that you think about that's not like a story, but it's just something from your childhood that you're, every now and then pops in your head? Mm. Uh, we used to throw eggs on cards. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. was just, it was just something the neighborhood <laughs> kids used
0: to do. Yeah, uh, and we this one time it was me, Kenny. Um, I, I, I think Kaizen was there, and then our friend Sean, our friend Booby, and we were all. It was Halloween night, and uh, we went to like the. It was like a bridge where the the uh, our overpass where the highway was under, underneath us, and uh, we just started throwing eggs at cars, and then we hit this one black car, and then because normally cars wouldn't like. They would, they would just keep driving forward, and that's, you know we just we just took the risk. We didn't think that anyone would like chase us down, but <laughs> yeah. we we hit a I think we hit a like an undercover cop car, and oh my God. he sped out, and we were like, holy shit, this dude's like, ch- he's he's coming to chase us. So we all just like started running, and he our, our friend Booby was like kind of heavy. He wasn't like he wasn't the fastest runner, and that and, so, uh, and that guy he, and that guy was running like Will Smith and Bad Boys. It was a, It was the fastest I've ever seen a man run. I've never seen a man run that fast. So he completely chased down Booby and just gave him like this, this verbal scolding, and we were all we're all just like hiding. Like some people hide, hid in trees, and like we went to like friends' houses. Like we just tried to like hide and get out of sight. But we all could hear him like giving like our, our cousin Booby just like a. Just the, the business. Just like yeah. You know, just tell him to set his life on like set his life on that straight. And it was the funniest thing we've ever seen. And we laughed the whole night. Like that's one thing that just that that memory just never leaves my head.
1: Wow. Yeah. Um do you have a neighbor from growing up that was particularly memorable, like like really strange or bizarre? Mm. Mm, that's my uh, so the neighbor that—not really
0: a neighbor. She lived way down the street, but it was uh, we were on the same block. She was my friend's mother. She was a uh, very, very, very religious, like a deeply religious person. And uh, one time, we spent the night over our friend's uh house. And you know, like I don't know if you remember this, but there was like Cinemax back in the day where you can watch. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, right, everyone sleep. Why not give it a little <laughs> peek? And so I, uh, I did. I, I watched it, but I think she overheard me watching it. So the next morning, she just like she said that we're we're cursed by the devil. We're demonic. <laughs> yep. uh, we're we're going to hell. And that wasn't the first time someone deeply re- religious said that I'm 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 cursed by the devil. So I was like, maybe <laughs> maybe maybe uh, maybe I am. Maybe I'm but, cursed. Uh, by- <laughs> yeah. She would and she would always walk to church like by herself in this very serious face. And I never I can I'll never forget that face and and just like her her deeply re- religious convictions.
1: Wow, that's uh. Just the idea of telling a, a kid <laughs> that they're... Curf- yeah. I mean, just, like, unpack that for a second. Well, I was like, it's just, like, it's just telling. I don't think it's not that big a deal. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't even show that much.
0: If that's, our, if that's leading you to hell, then, like, it must be, like, uh, the standards of getting into hell must be really, really low.
1: Cinemax- and, what, and
0: what was crazy is that is that she made pancakes for all of us. And I was like, oh, it's going to be a nice <laughs> pancake morning. And then she after she served the pancakes, she just went into, like, this... Fucking Lutheran tirade about why I'm going to hell, <laughs> why we're going to hell. I didn't even do you anything. You didn't even watch it.
1: It was just, it was, it was just guilt by association. She was like, no, no, no these pancakes are from heaven. <laughs> 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 and you're like, and you're like, you're not wrong. They were some good ass pancakes. They are the good pancakes. pancakes. Were great. <laughs> they were
0: great pancakes. I'll, I'll give her that.
1: Um, so it's gonna run some material. Do you guys, do you guys have material you want to run today? Man, let's
0: see. I mean, we've been sort of tweaking. We've been like loosely uh, trying to figure out this twin discrimination bit. Uh, right. It's not yeah. fully fleshed out. We kind of have like loose, uh, loose jokes, sort of like kind of like it's not very coherent. But that's sort of like yeah. We're, we're, our, the argument that we want to make is that being black is hard, but being black twins is twice as hard. <laughs> You know
1: what I mean? <laughs> that's
0: funny. And so then we try to we try to run through like how how that's the case, uh, but we don't want to offend too many to the, to the to the black listeners. We 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 recognize the struggle. We're just saying black twins. It's, it's even harder. Yeah, it's double it. yeah, the doubled. It's twice trouble.
1: as hard. <laughs> that's really f- you know that's really funny. Partly because I made this observation on this podcast to Pete Holmes, where I go. When I was out on tour with the Lucas Brothers, they get recognized so often uh, just from being in movies and stuff. And I and and Pete Holmes goes, my theory is that the twin aspect gives people two bites at the apple to recognize. Ah, mm. that's probably right. So they're like, wait a minute. I think that might be, yep. Right, right, yeah.
0: right. That might be it. I never, I never...
1: I never, never thought, thought about I never
0: thought about it that way, but that might be it. Because I, I always, because when I'm when I'm by myself, I, I don't get recognized as much. But when I'm with him, it's, I get recognized way more. <laughs> I remember one time someone saw the both of us and they're like, "Oh, I, I thought it was just one of you, but it was a uh, CGI." Oh, that's, you know, that's cool. <laughs> I was like, "Really?" <laughs> CGI. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Have
1: they you just... done that on stage? That's hilarious. <laughs> I thought they just copied. I, and, I they just copied and
0: pasted you from a computer program.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, it's one thing you see Ethan Hawke at a cafe. You go, "Hey, maybe that's Ethan Hawke." But then you see two <laughs> Ethan Hawks. You go, "Oh, it's definitely Ethan Hawke." <laughs> I think that's funny. Double the discrimination is very funny, though. I think that's like a good bit. But the the, the thing is, though, like it's not like
0: necessarily historically accurate. Historically, <laughs> twins have been treated very well, except for in Africa. Africa twins are treated very poorly. But in America, black twins have been, you know, not that bad. So we have to square it with the historical... uh,
1: What is is the African treatment of twins like?
0: In certain cultures in West Africa, I believe, and I don't know if they do this anymore, but... uh, Uh, tribally they would like if if they thought twins were evil it goes back to this demonic shit they thought if you you gave birth to twins that means you're you're doing something that and i think it was more economic but they had to justify it with uh religion and so they would kill they would throw the twins out into like pasture and have them
1: killed because they
0: associated it with evil
1: well you know a lot of those twins uh have cinemax The tw- they, were, they
0: were just what Cinemax just hit Africa, and they were just trying
1: to. <laughs> Cinemax hit Africa, and all of a sudden, everyone's up in arms. That's exactly what it was. That's. <laughs> so I'm working on this bit. It's uh, about how when our daughter Una was born, we were told that we should write a will. So we'll we hire this lawyer for the sake of the story. We'll call him will." And, uh, <laughs> middle middle initial and last name testament. So <laughs> so Mr. Testament comes over, and he uh he goes i do he goes, "I do wills." He goes, uh but then he like, and this is a true story. he just dove right in. He goes, all right. So, <laughs> so what happens if Mike gets hit by a bus? I swear to God. <laughs> I was like, whoa, easy, Mr. Testament, <laughs> easy. Uh, and then we tried to, you know, we tried to give answers. We we're like, okay, well, if I get hit by a bus, and then Jen gets all the money, you know. And then uh, what if Jen gets hit by? a bus? well, I'll get the money, you know. What he goes? What happens if you both get hit by the bus? I go, uh, I don't know. Una gets the money? He goes, who's in charge of Una? We go, <laughs> the bus driver? <laughs> so then we pause for about 40 minutes. And at this point, we're just acting out this horror movie in our heads of us being hit by the same bus and our daughter being an orphan singing Hard Knock Ugh. Life with a bunch of other orphans living with the bus driver. And... Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and then he tells us. So this is the end of the story. It's like, so the so Will tells us to fill out some forms to finalize the paperwork, and he says it won't take more than twenty minutes or so. And we never called him back <laughs> for six years, Jeez. Keith and Kenny. I'm telling you, six years. We haven't called him back. That's how in denial of death we are. <laughs> That's some Ernest that, Becker shit right there Right that's Which incredible. is in your that's, wheelhouse that's, that's incredible Yeah, I think, you know, it's so funny It's like, it's funny how stories develop Because they're not stories at the time You know, right. like when when the guy came over And he's like, well, let's write a will That's not a story That's no. just a guy comes to your house And you're like, you should write mm-hmm. a will Because you have a kid But mm-hmm. then six years later when you haven't written the will, it's like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> there's something going on here. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, the, like, the, the germ of a story is always, always, like,
0: just, like, a nugget of an idea that you just have to, you know, flesh out. But, like, you know, honestly, fleshing out is just sometimes just living a little bit longer.
1: <laughs> it is. <Right. laughs> no, that's why, yeah, so often, like, it just takes it takes ten years to see what... What the ending is right, right,
0: right, right. you never want to like rush it because then you like you 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 might close the chapter on it, but it's like, wait a second, that wasn't the that wasn't the right time to close, but so you just have to sort of like wait it out and see what happens next until you feel comfortable with like actually putting the button to it like do you do you get a feeling when you know you got the ending, like you're like, oh no, I got it, this is the ending
1: it's so or funny it it's something- funny it's funny you should say that because bit. They- What I do, I don't know if you guys have this, but like a lot of these stories, like I'll just tell them conversationally to friends, not intentionally, just because we're on the phone, you know, and I'll go like, oh, yeah, we haven't done a will because the guy came over and then and then, you know, like I'll literally be on the phone with my brother, Joe, and I'll be like, and like, we haven't called him back for like six years. And my brother, Joe, who's my business manager, is like, yeah, Mike, I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> like we paid that guy like six years ago to do nothing <laughs> have you guys um, have you guys made a will no the closest thing I've come to is a
0: will is, uh, we got to meet Will Smith <laughs> <and> he, <laughs> he was he was he was unhappy with his life and I'm like holy shit well, I, I should be very unhappy too <laughs> If Will is if 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 Will unhappy, then there's no hope for any
1: of us. Right? Um, do you guys have any other bits you're working on? Oh, huh, let's see.
0: Oh, I so I I have like my mom asked me for money and my father asked me for money. I'm like giving them allowance, but they never really gave me allowance. So I feel <laughs> I feel kind of like I feel kind of like I'm being cheated. That's funny. But I <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a joke. I just like
1: <laughs> that's a very funny premise.
0: I, I just feel very I feel very uncomfortable with giving my dad money. like the guy didn't even give us child support
1: like, <laughs> but it's like, it's like he owes me thousands of dollars. Right. Like like, now he wants now he wants parent support.
0: Yeah. yeah, he wants parent support. like it's like what kind of world is this? What kind of world are we living in? It just yeah. seems so like
1: uh it's not fair. That's really funny. I mean. I think one way to twist that joke would just be like, what did your parents give you as kids? Right. Oh, and then I could just give them, I, I'll give them what they gave me. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. My, my, my dad gave me uh, trauma and... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't and think he'd ever give me anything. And
1: abandonment issues. It gave me abandonment issues. You could be like, uh, my dad asked me for money, and so I said, why don't I just give you what you gave me uh, <laughs> you should go live with your stepfather in North Carolina. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was like, I, I, why, don't, why don't you? I'll give you what you gave me, and then I just never get back to him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Stepping away from my conversation with the Lucas brothers to send a shout out to shipstation.com. If you sell stuff online, which I do. And my brother does. Um, You know how busy 2020 was. Uh, It was insane for so many reasons. One of them was shipping stuff online. Well, get ready for 2021. It's going to be even more insane, bigger, more stuff. Uh, But the good news is ShipStation uh, just does great work. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them easy to manage from any device, even your phone. Get 21 off to a great start by using ShipStation.com. Use my offer code burbigs to get a 60-day free trial. Whoa! 60-day free trial? <laughs> that's that's incredible. Who could go wrong? Go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, type in burbigs offer code BRBIGS, and now back to the show. Um... It's funny because when I was looking at the cities that you you guys and I have toured to together, I was like Boise, Salt Lake City, <laughs> and Fort Collins, Colorado. It's like the whitest towns oh, yeah, yeah. in America, and I was like, I was like, man, I wonder if that was weird because I remember walking around town with you guys and being like, oh, you're like some of the only black people in town.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. We doubled the population in a lot of places. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's, uh, you know, and that's stand-up, right? Like, you know, especially if you're touring in middle America, like, you know, you're going to go to a lot of places that are, that are very predominantly white, probably, re- I mean, uh, right-leaning. Uh, and, and you have to, so that's, I mean, being able to actually see those parts of the country and perform in front of, you know, Trump, people, Trump supporters, like, yeah. it, it, it gave me a better understanding of, like, this, this country is... is it's very divided on the internet for sure, but yeah. when you're with people in real time, it's, it's, it's just not as bad. Uh, I, think it got, I think it got worse this year because it's an election year, but when we were on but the I, road, yeah. like it, it, wasn't, it wasn't as bad as it, as it feels now. Yeah, like I, I would do shows and like we, we did Philly, I think it was Philly. Yeah. And it, it was like these two guys, it was, no, it was a couple, it was an interracial couple. And the, the husband was a Trump supporter, and the wife was uh, not a Trump supporter. And they walked up to us, and they were like, We love you guys. And, I, and it blew my mind that, like, that sort of uh I And mean, this was before now. So, I mean, maybe it was early in the Trump uh, 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 period. So, I think things might, might be way more fractured now. But I, I try to, like, I've tried to approach it so, like, look, I know that we have different political beliefs. But they're human, and I I don't want to create enemies. But like, it it gets to a point where it's like this guy's like, yeah, he's trying he's trying to throw out millions of votes in predominantly black neighborhoods, yeah, and it's like at some point you got you got to be like this guy is racist and yeah. right, right. he doesn't like black people and they don't see us as human and you can't just you, you can't tolerate it from, right like, right from, right it's it, it's reached a breaking point for sure Like we're we're right. there
1: but i think it's interesting like you guys cuz we did shows like, in like boise salt lake and denver and and in fort collins colorado these are like super white places and you guys are crushing mm-hmm. you're you're like crushing right. i mean like mm-hmm. i can't right. even i can't even Uh, I'm not exaggerating a hint by saying like completely won over the crowds and I think there's a lot of Trump voters in those places a lot and in those crowds Mm -hmm. and they love your show and they're probably saying and and this is the conversation I think in America right now they would go well we love Keith and Kenny we're not racist we love Keith and Kenny (laughs) right and it's like but it's the difference between racism and systemic racism I think right I mean, that would be my, that would be my sort of take on the thing, which is that systemic racism and your article sheds a lot of light on this and helps people understand what systemic racism is. But I think it's, right. it's hard for some people to grasp the difference when they go like, I like Keith and Kenny. I like my black friend, you know, Tom. Right, right, I, right, like right, right. I like this person. I like this person. I don't see color.
0: Right. A, yeah. lot of, a lot of people have like a rudimentary understanding of racism. You know, it, it, you know, people don't want to feel like they're a part of the problem. They want, they that's want right. to feel like, you know, yeah, racism might exist, but you know, I have black friends, I like black comedians, so I'm not yeah. racist. But you know, that's not the nature of systemic racism. You well, know? that's, but that's part of the problem. Yes, you, you isolate it and you individualize it, and the, the, the problem that African Americans are facing is systemic. So it's like, if you don't, if you don't look at it as like a unity of purpose. Then nothing's going to change, right? right? Like if you don't, if you don't, if you don't see it as a, a larger uh, uh, problem that affects all, then you're going to be stuck in your sort of like isolated right. bubble. Right. Like you got to look at it from a on, a on an institutional level. You know, it's not it's not about the individuals; about institutions. And I think you see it playing out with Trump. Like you see like the power of institutions and how like yeah, one individual can shape it, but ultimately like. Uh, we move in institutions we move with groups and in groups and institutions they lay down the system and uh and ultimately that tends to have a negative impact on brown and black people uh it's And it's also just basic power politics. Right, right. White people have been in power since the beginning. They've created this country, and they don't want minorities to to be equal. I mean, it's not like—this is not not an abnormal position to take. You want to maintain power. You want to maintain control. You want to have control over the vast resources that the American uh, military production uh, uh, does. So it's like, of course— you're going to react negatively, especially when a black guy wins presidency. You, yeah. you're, that should up, that probably upends your entire like foundational uh, view of democracy. But it's like, no, we're getting closer and closer to a more perfect union because people who are who have been uh, uh, not able to participate can participate. That's right. We have a uh, we have a black woman as a vice president. That would have been unheard of. Yeah. just 15 years ago. So we're getting closer to a more perfect union. But as we get closer to that. Uh, ideal, it strips away the power for uh, white men, and they yeah. don't like it, and so they're reacting violently. But here's the thing about comedy, though: comedy critiques institutions. Like we, we so yes, we sent uh, we sent Noam Chomsky uh, an email because he, he responds to people, which is crazy. <laughs> does so he really? We like, hey, yeah, we, we, we uh, he does. We sent him an email. We were like, so what do you, what do you, what's, what's comedy's role in the 21st century? You know, with cancel culture and. People like Trump using comedy for nefarious purposes. Like, what's the role of the comedian in the 21st century? And he said, he said, uh, the role of the comedian is to the role of the comedian has always been to, to to critique institutions, and that hasn't changed. It hasn't changed now. It hasn't changed since then. It hasn't changed now. I mean, he used yeah. more eloquent language, but like, it's like, uh, yeah, that's it, man. It's like our role is to to keep these institutions and to keep individuals honest. And, yeah. uh And you know, we got. Uh, I think comedians, for the most part, they take it very seriously. That's our duty. Uh, you see someone like Chappelle critique, you know, uh, Viacom honestly, and it's like that. That's the role of the comedian, just to keep yeah. these fucking institutions honest. And uh, it's 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 a it's a privilege and, a, and an honor to to be able to do it.
1: Well, well stated. <laughs> um, the uh, I have a couple quick jokes, and, and if you guys have any other quick ones to to end on, this is uh, my mom refers to every piece of technology after nineteen eighty seven as a car phone. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm gonna play a song on my car phone, then I'll make a cappuccino on my car phone. I'm gonna send an email with my car phone, and I'm gonna step out onto the porch and call you on my car phone. Uh, uh, that's all i got it it's literally is an observation i wrote down like a few years ago car phone is very
0: funny it's, a, it's, it's, it's funny right like, it, it's, it's a fun visual yeah it's such a yeah the car phone i mean it's like i remember the, like the car phone used to just be a thing like it, it wasn't a joke it was like getting a car phone was like a, a sign of like prison. huge huge <laughs> it was like oh this person must be like rolling in dough like it, it, but now it's like it's a it's a punchline <laughs>
1: <laughs> remember when? Remember when it was like they bring you in movies and stuff. Like they bring you a phone at a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the Could hell you imagine was
0: that? What the hell was that? <laughs> Who's calling oh. a person? On a phone at a restaurant, like at a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just a movie device, but I'm like, I, I just like in my lifetime,
1: I've never seen it happen. No, I've never, I've never witnessed that ever. <laughs> I've never witnessed. Ever. It. I don't. Do you guys jot down a lot of uh, overheards and things? That's sort of where a lot of my jokes come from. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, of course, absolutely. So I, I would go. I was listening to these teenagers on the subway, and they were talking about what type of men they liked. And one of them Hmm. goes, "Uh, You like Spanish men? You should go to LA. (laughs) They got everything money, cars, double dick. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) apparently the the standards have changed. We are competing (laughs) with men who have two penises. (laughs) Gone are the days of a simple one penis or even a a 1.5 penises. Not to mention, these very men have both cars and money. (laughs) Double dick what the I, hell is a double dick? <laughs> I don't know what a double dick is, man.
0: Is it like? Is it just like a, a big one, and they're just like they're, in their minds are just breaking it down into two, but it's really just one that could be two.
1: It was one of those things that I wrote down because it just made me laugh so hard. Oh, when double I dick heard is hilarious. It. Double dick is hilarious, right? <laughs> it's really it's like funny in like, and of
0: itself, but like to visualize it and to try to figure out what the fuck it is. And Let's by the way,
1: and, and by the way, and maybe that's where the joke goes. It's like, I'm not going to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you
0: have to conceptualize it. You have to like, you have to seriously think it through and like, like visualize what the double dick is. I mean, is it? A- I think it's like, I, I think it's like conjoined twins, but they have separate dicks.
1: <laughs> right? It's double dick. <laughs> well, there's a lot of double dick discrimination. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So the thing I'm going to uh, we end on is working it out for a cause. And uh, we, I give to a nonprofit of, of our guest choice every week. Is there, is there a nonprofit you guys know about that's doing a particularly good job right now?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's this, so there's this, um, it's called the, the Youth Sentencing uh, Program. They, so my friend I went to law school with uh, named Lauren Fine, she started an organization that um, helps kids who were unfairly uh, sentenced in prison. So, like, they have, like, just crazy sentences. Like, they were, like, 12 years old, but they are sentenced to, like, 10 years in prison. So, like, she, she fights to... to uh, overturn. Yeah, to overturn their sentences, so...
1: It's a really easy URL for people to find. It's YSRP.org, Youth Sentencing and Reentry Project. I will contribute to them... I'll put uh, a link in the show notes to encourage other people to. And thanks Keith and Kenny for coming on. This was a blast. This is awesome. Mike,
0: thank you so much, man. man. This, I, is, this was great. I need I needed this I, laugh, man. I needed I needed this, right, right. This, this this is fucking great, man. This is awesome. Working it out
1: cuz it's not done. We're working it out? Cuz there's no that was another episode of Working It Out with the Lucas Brothers. I love those guys. I can't wait to see what they do next. Um, oh, I should mention, we are doing Valentine's Weekend, more virtual shows. We had such a blast with Christmas and New Year's. We're doing Valentine's Day, three shows, tickets now at burbigs.com. They go fast. The producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia. consulting producer Seth Barrish. sound mix by Kate Belinsky, assistant editor Mabel Lewis. Thanks to my consigliere, Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff for our music. As always, a special thanks to my wife, J-Hope Stein. Our book, The New One, is at your local bookstore, Curbside. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who created this radio fort. If you like the show, if you're enjoying this podcast, write a little user review on your Apple or your thing or wherever you do the thing and write the stars and the, hey, I liked it, and maybe tell your friends and tell your enemies because we are working it out. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time.